This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Tim Fitzgerald at GoPowerCat.com. And I'm Scott Jason with Fog.net. This is a replay of WIBW's TV show, The Drive. Here's this week's episode on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network. Good evening, Wildcat and Jayhawk fans, and welcome to The Drive, sponsored by FlintHillsAuto.com. I'm Tim Fitzgerald of GoPowerCat.com, and the man to my right is Scott Chasen of Fog.net. Scott, you're not wearing your Jayhawk shirt tonight. Oh, I know. I must have forgot it. You have a good reason for wearing yeah. the shirt that you're wearing. Yeah, I'm, I'm a homer, and I'm wearing this in honor of the Fighting for a Cure Day, which will be celebrated mm-hmm. at Kansas State on Saturday with the Baylor football game. It's part of the Johnson Cancer Research Center, and if you want more information, on their efforts to fight cancer, including cancer that I have, uh, go to cancer slash kstate.edu. And now let's get on with the show. You can interact with us on social media at facebook.com slash the drive show, on Twitter at the drive 13, and of course, answer our weekly poll question and make your game predictions at the drive show.com. And remember, if you ever miss an episode of the drive, you can listen to an audio only version that will appear each Monday morning in the form of a podcast at both GoPowerCat and Fog.net. And we start things off with our two-minute drill. And the two-minute drill is sponsored by Huda Hands. They've been expecting you. Now, let's eat. Well, Kansas State carried a 3-0 record into its game with Oklahoma State and left with a 26-13 defeat in a game during which the Wildcats never seemed fully engaged. Fitz, how do you explain this performance? You know, you can hear Chris Kleiman talk, you know, about his team better not buy into their, you know, their press clipping, so to speak. And they seemed to be that way. They seemed like they were a little overly confident in going up against an Oklahoma State team that had looked good this year but was coming off a loss at Texas. And quite honestly, despite a really good offense, their defense hadn't looked good. Well, uh, they both sides of the ball look good for Oklahoma State. And you see that score, 26-13. You think it was a close game. Folks, this wasn't a close game. This really <clears throat> wasn't a competitive game, although K-State was still around uh, and they still had opportunities in it. They just couldn't muster much of any offense until late. And Oklahoma State had well enough offense, mostly from that dude, Chuba Hubbard, that ran for almost 300 yards. That was not a typo coming out of my mouth. That is 300 yards. I think it was 298. Uh, Oklahoma State's offense for most of the game really, really looked good. And this is one of the few times K-State had a really nice play on offense themselves. They finally did go down the field and and score late in the game uh, a touchdown to make it look a little bit better. But this was not good. K-State was defective on offense throughout. That offensive line that had dominated so much throughout this season, Scott, just looked lackadaisical. They didn't Mm -hmm. fire off the line. Oklahoma State's offensive line has been sus or defensive line has been suspect and they weren't on Saturday. They really kind of pushed around K-State. Yeah. Re- reality checks are going to be kind of a theme of this week, this episode. <laughs> exactly. I-, I mean, was this one for K-State, do you think? It really was one. Uh, they got, I think they got bullied a little bit by Oklahoma State. Uh, this team that went into Mississippi State and bullied an SEC team, 
really didn't seem to have the same kind of focus as we've seen from this team all year long. Maybe they were due for one of these. Maybe it was just it was going to happen eventually. And unfortunately for K-State, it happened in their Big 12 opener. But the good news is now in the final eight, they've got five at home. Mm -hmm. uh, they have some real opportunities, including Saturday against an unbeaten Baylor team to get back on track and, and prove that they're the team that played the first three games, not this team. Yeah, and you never know. It could be a blessing in disguise if yeah. it gets people to buy in that much more. Yeah, it really could. And it certainly uh, was a wake-up call for everyone. One. And speaking of wake-up calls, <laughs> TCU wasted little time blowing out KU 55-14 on Saturday. Scott, was this a reality check for the Jayhawks after they played a bad West Virginia team last week? Well, look, when Kansas played West Virginia close, and you combine that kind of with the Boston College game, and, and you could even look at that West Virginia game and say, hey, Kansas might have been the better team. I think expectations started to be raised a little bit. I'm not saying people thought they were going to go out and win five games. I'm not saying people thought they would be bowl eligible in year one. But people started to look at that and say, hey, West Virginia just beat NC State. Obviously, West Virginia didn't look great to start the season, but hey, they're a legitimate Big 12 team. Well, this was a reality check, and I think it was in just about every sense of the words. Offense, defense, special teams to an extent, and coaching. Starting with the offense, KU came out with the same run-run-pass approach that hasn't worked uh, in past weeks, they were conservative. Uh, whether it was run, run, pass, or run, conservative pass, and then pass, it put Carter Stanley uh, in bad positions to his credit, avoided turnovers. That was about the one good thing you could say about his line, but the offense never really got going. Obviously, KU was missing pieces, both the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Drew Prox may be as valuable a player on that KU football defense as anyone, not because he's necessarily the best player on the KU defense, but because that inside linebacker position right now is so thin. Not having him for this game, Kyron Johnson got a little bit banged up in this game. Now all of a sudden, you're relying on a guy in Gavin Potter who is a true freshman. And some true freshmen, it, I think the rule is about the farther away you get from the line of scrimmage, that's where you can really start to put these true freshmen in. It's going to be tough when you're relying on him. I think he made 10 or 11 tackles. It, it's tough to rely on a true freshman like that. Beyond him, you have Jaden Neen. Again, he showed that he could hang with Boston College. He's got good size, but... At the same time, that's not the guy you want to roll out there against a speedy TCU right. team. TCU's offense looked great. Offense, I think they totaled something like 600-plus yards. Troubling effort for Kansas all around. And a bit of a reality check in terms of, hey, maybe you're not quite where you thought you were. This was kind of the double whammy. Mm -hmm. KU beat TCU last year in Lawrence. Mm -hmm. And TCU was coming off a home loss to SMU sure. and probably was angry. A little fired up. This was not a good day to be KU in mm -hmm. Fort Worth. Yeah, well, a worse day would have been still two years ago that game that, uh, you know, an old tweet got brought up from uh, Matt Galloway of the Capitol Journal that Les Miles was joking about Kansas on the broadcast and said uh, something like, come to Kansas if you're a, a punter, or some kind of slogan like that. I think Kansas punted something like nine times uh, yeah. against TCU. A yeah. rough showing. Luckily, they got a good punter. Mm -hmm. Baylor rallied to beat Iowa State and Waco to move to 4-0 on the season. Now, the question is this. Is Baylor the team that can challenge either Texas or Oklahoma in the Big 12? Or, Scott, does that school even exist I'm not sure that school exists and, and here's why I think that especially watching the end of that Baylor Iowa State game 
I was, I'm not going to say shocked, that, that word might be a little strong. I was very surprised uh, with how poor Iowa State looked and how Baylor just kind of jumped out to this lead on them. And then as the game went on, it was like these two teams just completely flipped. Iowa State all of a sudden uh, couldn't be stopped. Brock Purdy and everything he was doing, moving around, finding guys wide open, three straight touchdowns. It was a point, they were down something like 20 to 7, and you could tell Iowa State was going to take the lead. And they needed two touchdowns and a stop, but it was it was just obvious. Baylor marches down at the end. They have a suspect kicking game. They get that field goal. What that game basically showed me is that neither team is to the level that it's going to take, at least consistency-wise, to hang with the teams at the top of the conference. I know we've talked about this. I think Oklahoma is your standalone team at the top of the Big 12. I'm guessing you agree with that. I don't really see anyone else catching them at this point. No, I don't either. I, I think if there's a third team, I think K-State might have run into them with Oklahoma State, mm-hmm. and we were probably all deceived a little bit by them losing to Texas. But let's keep in mind, it was a six-point game in Austin. Oklahoma State didn't play particularly well in some areas of the game and yet they hung around. So maybe if you do still want to break off Texas and pair it with Oklahoma at the top, maybe Oklahoma State is the third team. But we all fall into this. You can't read too much into any one game. And for most of this uh, Iowa State-Baylor game, neither team looked very good. Mm-hmm. They Maybe it was just good defense, and we're not accustomed to seeing that in the Big 12 because that hasn't been around very often. But neither offense really got going, and then Baylor broke loose. And then, as you mentioned, Iowa State rallied because it seemed like suddenly in the fourth quarter or late third quarter, they realized Baylor's overplaying everything mm-hmm. and started running wheel routes around the backside, and that seemed to change the whole game. And then Baylor hit a field goal, which was its own miracle in itself, but that's a different story. How how much of a disappointment this year for Iowa State? I I mean, from where they came, I know we've talked about this, but entering the year, only, what, the second time in program history that they've been ranked to where they are now. I I mean, it's been a big disappointment for that. And they have TCU rolling into Ames Mm -hmm. next Saturday, and we'll get to that in the picks, but that is going to be a very, very interesting game as Saturday will sort out a lot of stuff in the Big 12 in that middle section of the conference. Maybe a make-or-break game for their season. Exactly. Now, a quick look at our poll question results. Poll questions are brought to you by Filmin 11. Your go fast, look good, play hard, custom shop. Well, last week's question was, K-State opens Big 12 play at Oklahoma State, then against Baylor and TCU in Manhattan. How will the Wildcats fare in those games? They won't go undefeated. Yeah, so 15% uh, already <laughs> uh, incorrect there. Three wins got 15%, two and one got 60%. Uh, one win, two losses, 15%, and three losses, some haters there, 10%. Yeah, I know. This week's question is this. Of these five undefeated college football teams, as of now, which of these teams does not not belong in the four-team college football playoff. A, Alabama. B, Clemson, which doesn't make sense. C, Ohio State. <laughs> D, Georgia. E, Oklahoma. Make sure you vote over at thedriveshow.com. If you vote for A or B, I think we'll have to have some conversations about that. Well, B didn't look particularly good on Saturday. That's, that's fair. That's fair. Well, that will do it for this half of the two-minute drill, but we will be right back with more on KU and K-State on The Drive. Welcome back to The Drive as we continue our weekly two-minute drill. And the two-minute drill is sponsored by Hula Hands. They've been expecting you. Now, let's eat. Well, Chris Kleiman's 24-game winning streak as a head coach ended on Saturday. What does this K-State team need to do to get back on track? 24 straight victories. Mm-hmm. 24 straight straight victory. I want to say that again. 24 straight victories. Incredible. Uh, and you know what? Uh, 
Chris Kleiman has only lost a few games as a head coach, so this is going to be interesting. And honestly, during the second half of that game, when he made some coaching decisions that people kind of scratched their head over, I was like, you know what, I don't think he's ever been in this position as a head coach to be down on the road like this. So K-State needs to kind of regroup. They need to get back on their feet uh, and get back to what they were doing early in the season, which was really doing a nice job of mixing the run with the pass, but mostly it involved blowing off the ball and dominating the line of scrimmage on both sides. Now, you can make an argument that K-State's defensive line did a really good job at Oklahoma State for parts of the game, despite giving up so much rushing yardage. Uh, they did kind of bend, but don't break, gave up a lot of yards, but you know they, they didn't give up more than 30 points. You should be able to score 30 points, I believe, with Kansas State's offense, and they were totally inept, mostly because the offensive line didn't do what it needs to do. Kansas State needs to get back to that. They need to get back to being the dominating physical team that wears down opponents like they did at Mississippi State. And Scott, if they don't wear down opponents, they just don't have enough skill guys, enough threatening playmakers to really beat a team. And it showed now with Malik Knowles injured for an indefinite period of time, the freshman wide receiver who was their kind of go-to guy and had a big kickoff return against Mississippi State that changed that game. At some point in that contest, he injured a foot. It seems like it's a small fracture in there from what we're hearing. They expect him back mid-season, but they will probably be the next two home games, Baylor and TC without him. So they also probably need to identify someone else to be their, quote, go-to guy. Mm -hmm. There's got to be someone on this this team fast enough to threaten the secondary deep, and maybe it's freshman Josh Youngblood, but we will see. Yeah, if you, if you look at the position groups or even go schematically, is there one area that, that you see that K-State really needs to make a jump week to week? Well, I'm telling you what, what we saw on on Saturday with the middle of that Kansas State defense, mm -hmm. and I don't know if it was assignments or just being outmanned, giving up that kind of running, even though Chuba Hubbard is an NFL guy mm -hmm. and is really, really talented, giving up 298 yards or whatever it was, you can't do that. they got to figure that out, yeah. and they got to get better in that heart of the defense, something that we've seen from game one that maybe was a little bit of a problem. <laughs> one player who was not on the field for KU was Khalil Herbert and Scott Lesmile spoke about his running back, a senior running back after the game. What's the latest on his status? Well, still a little bit of unknown, but you can start to kind of paint the picture of what's going on, especially when you hear the way that people spoke about his situation after the game. So for anyone who doesn't know, resetting the situation, it was probably less than an hour before the game. Fox Sports 1, which is carrying the game, announced that Khalil Herbert was out for, quote, personal reasons. Now, a lot of ambiguity about what that means, but yeah. after a team has played four games, you can start to get a sense of, hey, you can play four games, sit out, and in cases of being a senior, uh, you can transfer and be a graduate transfer eligible to play right away. Now, uh, obviously, there's going to be some question about how people feel just in general about players taking advantage of that rule. If that is indeed the case, should know a little bit more on Monday if his name uh, does indeed end up in the transfer portal. But uh, look, Khalil Herbert was having by far the best season of his career. He had seen an uptick in his usage, especially early in the season, had some big, uh, had some games where he carried much of the load on offense under David Beatty, but this was really the first time that he was getting the chance to be a featured back in an offense that featured two of them. Puka Williams was still getting the bulk of the carries, but Khalil Herbert had a game where he rushed for 187 yards against Boston College. 17 yards a carry, 11 carries. Also had uh, an 82-yard run and I believe a touchdown in that game. He was averaging 9 yards per carry, which ranked up uh, with some of the best running backs in the country. He was having a phenomenal year, and this is a guy who rushed for 291 yards 
in a game in his sophomore season. So Khalil Herbert has been extremely talented back, capable, maybe not always gotten the opportunity. Now he was starting to get the opportunity, and now he's he could be leaving, I should say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the best players on that KU football offense is a huge loss. Yeah, well, you just you can't have a loss of any skill positions. Mm-hmm. We saw it with K-State, even if it's through injury or whatever, when you're kind of on that brink, yeah. you need all the players possible. I love this guy. I think mm-hmm. he's a great running back, and I think KU has underutilized him, and I think he is potentially an NFL guy. He's got that nice skill set, and he gets through a hole really emphatically, mm-hmm. but he was behind Puka. Even his game at sure. Boston College, we put up the big numbers. Who got more carries? Yeah, and, and again, you know, he has shown some of those NFL skills, vision being one of them, speed, more breakaway speed, I would say, than that quick burst, but at the end of the day, if the opportunity is there, for example, to transfer, play on a, a bigger stage, get some more attention, go to the NFL, you, you kind of understand where those decisions could be made. Yeah, and this is kind of the law of unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone envisioned when they put in this four games and you maintain your redshirt rule was going to be applied to guys like this. It was meant for freshmen to get some experience mm-hmm. and then still have a redshirt. You know, uh, it, it didn't work out that way. We got Houston redshirting guys yeah. now that played four games. Season isn't going well. We're going to put you back on the shelf, veteran players, and play you next year. And an unintended consequence of that, the uh, the secondary one, is that now freshmen have to play because you have these veterans who might be sitting out. Yeah, that's it's crazy. And now let's step out of bounds. If that wasn't out of bounds, <laughs> now we will go out of bounds. Well, Ohio State took a 38-0 halftime lead on Nebraska and Lincoln on its way to a 48-7 victory. Five years ago, Nebraska fired Bo Pelini, a coach who won nine or more games in all of his seven seasons. Since then, Nebraska is 16-21 in Big Ten games. Firing winning coaches such as Pelini and Frank Solich leaving for the Big 12 and then the Big Ten uh, for the Big Ten. Is Nebraska its own worst enemy? Yes, next topic. Yeah, they really are. I mean, it just seems like Nebraska gets greedy. Uh, I think Bo Pelini was fired just for being a weirdo and a jerk, but still, he had won nine or ten games every season Mm -hmm. he was out. And this was on the heels of earlier firing a really good man and a good coach and Frank Solich, but he wasn't Tom Osborne. Mm-hmm. And then they brought in Bill Callahan and he didn't do so well. And then they run out Polini, and it's just they, they're on this cycle now. They feel like Scott Frost is their guy but the results aren't coming as soon as possible. And I, by results I don't mean beating Ohio State. Mm-hmm. That's a really good football team. They got humiliated by Ohio State. 38-0 at half. It could have been worse. And Ohio State, quite frankly, called off the dogs. And I seem to remember a time when K-State scored 38 on Nebraska in Lincoln, and Bo Pelini accused Bill Snyder of running up the score. It's gotten a lot worse since then. I'll say it point blank. You should have never left the Big 12. You left your rivalries, your recruiting ground, and your tradition is kind of slowly fading away. Maybe not in the hearts of fans, but nationally it sure is. I think them moving is a big mistake, Mm -hmm. and now they're fighting an uphill battle in a very competitive conference where they are the outsider. Mm-hmm. Well, now let's hear from the fans. And our fan question this week is this. Uh, Puka Williams totaled only 12 rushing yards on eight carries. What has kept him from breaking out this year? That is from a guy named Fitz from Manhattan, and I imagine he's a very handsome fella. Very handsome. He very. included that, actually, uh, via text. So. Very, very yeah. handsome fella. Yeah, <laughs> it was via text, and it was like a personal text with, mm. with a selfie. Well, look, Puka Williams has acknowledged that there was some rust. Uh, he was sat out for seven months after the domestic battery charge in December that was part of the sanctions and punishments that he had to go through. That could be part of the equation. KU also hasn't used him in very creative ways. You can probably count 
on uh, way more. You, I, I guess it's not a scenario where you could count on one hand the amount of times they've run them into an eight, nine, or even ten-man box. It's been a, a common theme. There's that toss play KU runs up the middle out of the I formation. Hasn't been working outside of one run other uh, with Khalil Herbert. This was a game where he could have received more carries. He only received eight in this game. Didn't look that sharp. Uh, I don't have the right, you know, the complete answer, but he doesn't look like the Puka Williams of last year just if yet. If you're Puka, you, want, you didn't want more carries. Let's just get out of here. I yeah. don't want to play anymore against TCU. Fair enough. Well, remember to ask us your questions on our Facebook page and on Twitter at The Drive 13. And when we return, we will look at our predictions here on The Drive. Welcome back as we head down the home stretch of this week's show. Now it's time to take a look at our predictions. The predictions are brought to you by Vanderbilt's your work boot center. And remember to make your weekly predictions over at thedriveshow.com. Here are last week's results. Do we really want to dwell on this? <laughs> the viewers offered, we went one and two. Everyone's below 500 for the season. Shame. The cone of shame rests on all of us. Mm. And now here are this week's picks, starting with Baylor plus three and a half. K-State is a three and a half point favorite in Manhattan. I was a little surprised by this. Yeah, I'll go with Baylor. Not feeling great about this one, though. Ah, it's a hard one to call. I will yeah. take K-State. Next is Oklahoma minus 35 against Kansas. Five touchdowns. Five touchdowns for on your home field. Yeah. And I'm still going to take Oklahoma. I'm going to take Kansas again, not feeling great about it. No, no, why would you? <laughs> and our last game of the week is a really good one. TCU mm-hmm. plus three and a half also at Iowa State. Kind of a home field advantage thing there. You take. After the, seeing the way TCU ran the ball, I'm, I'm going TCU. I will take Iowa State mm-hmm. to make sure we're different on all fronts. <laughs> again, make your picks over at thedriveshow.com. And now it's time for our On the Clock segment. On the Clock is sponsored by Carpet One. By local for a strong local community and we start off with Scott Chasen of fog.net well, much has been made about the crowds showing up to David Booth Kansas Memorial Stadium this year the Jayhawks had over 32,000 fans at their first two games and crossed the 35,000 mark for their most recent home game that's a big question now following a loss that like we talked about was a bit of a reality check for the team in Lawrence Kansas fans can show that they're still fully on board with Les Miles, fully on board with supporting the team by showing up. It's a way to, you know, for fans to help the program show their support, especially with the number of recruits that KU already has committed in the class, the number of the recruits that they're trying to bring in, and again, just showing the program is moving in that direction. Personally, I'll be very interested to see what the crowd looks like on Saturday as KU takes on Oklahoma, a game many may not expect to win. In fact, I think it's safe to say most expect to lose. That being said, still get a chance to check out one of the high-flying offenses in the Big 12. That's awful fun. Uh, hey, uh, everyone, I've been kind of vouching for ESPN Plus, and I really do apologize for that. ESPN Plus was awful with Kansas State's game at Oklahoma State. The rain delay didn't help, and they came back late out of that rain delay. Only 16 K-State basketball games are on that mm-hmm. channel, ESPN Plus. Let's hope they figure it out because fans of all schools deserve better than what K-State got on Saturday. That's it for this week's edition of The Drive. We will see you here next week. And remember, keep fighting for a cure at K-State.